Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars Daily Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, April 14th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Spring is in the air, but spring football on college campuses has been grounded. Today we play a little what might have been at Kansas State in Kansas. If spring football had continued, what were the biggest questions that confronted those programs? Beat writers Callis Robinette and Jesse Newell are here to talk K-State and KU football, along with some other topics like NFL draft prospects from those schools, beer sales at Kansas State, Kansas, and Missouri. That's from a story by Kellis that appeared over the weekend, and we've linked to here in the show notes, plus the issues with restarting a college football season. What might happen? When will the sport return? And how might it look? Let's get started with Kellis Robinette on the Wildcats. Hey, Kellis, how you doing? I'm doing good, Blair. What's new? Well, not a lot of sports, um, but doesn't doesn't stop us from talking sports, does it? Even at uh, you know spring football, K State wasn't going to have a spring game per se, was it not? No, it's going to be an open spring practice Friday evening. Anyone who wanted to come check it out could, but it was just going to be a regular old practice, no frills, no nothing. So a little bit uh, was, was that how um, uh, Chris Kleiman did it last year? Uh, last year they tried to make find a happy medium between the people who liked the spring game traditionally and then Chris Kleiman who liked just opening up a practice. So they had they did do a standard practice with a little bit of scrimmaging, but then they had Wyatt Thompson um, out on the field interviewing coaches throughout it. So there was a little bit for everybody. The coaches got to got to hold a normal practice. Fans got to hear from them. Um, so that was the middle ground. And this year, I think they were going all the way to exactly what Kleiman wanted, which was just a 15th practice. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, with, with the Wildcats, we're, we're still going to talk about them, even though we don't know, uh, when, how, if, you know, college football is going to resume what it's going to look like. But, um, it seems to me in a time of uncertainty like this, one of the things that you, um, that's good for a program is having a returning starting quarterback and the Wildcats have that with Skylar Thompson, you know, so my question to you is what's the, what's sort of the next frontier for him? Got him to eight victories last year and, and K-State returned to a bowl game. What's, what's next for Skylar Thompson? If let's just assume the season comes off, what, um, and how does he go out and on top, so to speak? I mean, he's already climbing statistical charts and, um, uh, but but uh, for, to complete a career, what would be what would be a you know a, a good finish for Skylar Thompson? Well, that's a, a great question because traditionally, any Kansas State quarterback who starts even two years um, puts up a really good season for the Wildcats. That's how it always seemed to work under Bill Snyder. Any any time he broke in a quarterback and he was coming back and knew what he was prepared for, the team always seemed to have this really good success. And so, you know, is Skylar Thompson destined for that? He won eight games last year as a third-year starter, and now he's going to be a four-year starter. That very, very rarely has happened. I'm not sure if it's ever happened at Kansas State where they've had a quarterback start games in four consecutive seasons. So he's going to have all kinds of experience. Um, He's the guy that Chris Kleiman loves. All the players look up to him. There's absolutely no QB drama next season. So if, if everything falls into place, I don't think it's crazy to think that he could be the next guy to win double-digit games um, and lead him back to a nice bowl game. Um, just the question with him is that, you know, this isn't the uh, the Snyder 1.0. It's not uh, the glory days of Snyder 2.0 even um, when they had Colin Klein and Jake Waters in there. Um, 
they they're losing a lot from last season, so I don't know if the roster is exactly set up for ten wins. But I think if he can just be a little bit more aggressive, um, put up a little bit better passing numbers than he did last season, I think he could have him right back at eight, nine, ten wins somewhere in that range, and that would be a, a very good way for him to go out. Some of those losses, as you mentioned, come uh, with the skill position folks, running backs, wide receivers. Uh, what what a, I guess again, that's what spring would have maybe shaken out. Uh, we had some competition there, and uh, what uh, what are the thoughts of Kansas State in the backfield and uh, and at wide receiver? Um, well, in the backfield, they're starting over a little bit because last year they brought in basically two short term answers at running back and uh, James Gilbert, and they also had. Um, the uh, the other running back was a grand transfer from North Carolina. So those are the two guys they relied on most. But they're both gone now. So this season they're probably going to go look at looking at Harry Trotter, um, who was their third string guy last year, and then maybe Jacardia Wright, a rising freshman who we saw a little bit last season, where he he took advantage of the four game rule, where if you play under that you don't have to redshirt. When we saw him play, he looked really good. So I think those two guys and maybe one or two others will get in there and share the ball. Um, I don't know that there's going to be, um, you know, too much controversy there. A wide receiver, Malik Knowles, will probably be the, the, the lead guy if he can stay healthy. The question with them is that, you know, last year they really relied a lot on Dalton Schoen as their possession receiver. Anytime they needed a, a third down conversion, a fourth down conversion, he's the guy that Skylar Thompson looked for. So who's going to step up into that role? And then even beyond the uh, skill positions, the big question is offensive line. Um they're replacing all five starters up front this season. They had five seniors last year. They did really good uh, adjusting to Chris Kleiman's system, and now they got to start all over right there. So, you know, what what's what are their strengths going to be? Are they run blockers? Are they pass blockers? I think that as much as anything is going to affect what the offense does. Yeah, that is that is a big um, replacement to have to have to replace all five guys. That's all five starters. That that's a big task for. For, for this staff um, on the defensive side, Reggie Walker is gone, but there's some names back, uh, some guys that were pretty productive last year. Uh, uh, Wyatt Hubert on, on the on defensive end. I, I, he was all conference or got some all conference consideration last year. Um, Elijah Sullivan, the linebacker, a couple of, you know, a couple of good guys to build around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they're going to be pretty good up front again. Like you mentioned, Wyatt Hubert was probably their best overall defender last season. Um, he was an all conference guy and he's back. <clears throat> um, if you pay close attention on the, on the, the battle right up front, teams were really having to double team him and throw a lot of different looks at him last season to keep him away from their quarterbacks. So if he can build up what he did last season, that'll help out everybody else on that defensive line. They won't have Reggie Walker. They won't have the defensive tackles they had in the middle. But if they're still um, focusing on Wyatt, trying to keep him away from the quarterback, that'll help everybody else out. And I think they actually will be stronger at linebacker because they have Elijah Sullivan coming back. And Justin Hughes, who was going to be their team captain at linebacker last season until he tore his ACL, got an extra year of eligibility. He's healthy now. Um, they're really looking forward to plugging him back in there in the middle of the defense. And then that just bolter, bolsters everything around him. So um, they lost some key guys. They lost a lot of leadership in the the back end with Denzel Goolsby moving on. And just uh, I think they have the talent to uh, pick up where they left off last season, even under a new defensive coordinator. The question will just be who's going to step into that leadership role in the secondary. Gotcha. 
Hey, a couple other topics that uh, that are of interest, and and certainly the first one being timely. The NFL draft is next Thursday, a week from Thursday, and Kansas State has one of the more impressive streaks regarding the draft going in college football. I think we're up to 26 years, 26 consecutive years that a Kansas State player has been taken in the NFL draft. Uh, it is the the longest streak among Big 12 teams, and I think I saw where it's the 11th longest streak in college football. You know, uh, that's, that streak is being threatened this year without, a, without an obvious candidate, without a, you know, without a Darren Sproles type of guy that you, you know, that you'd think would, um, you know, would go pretty high. So, but to keep the streak alive, who, who were some of the Kansas State players we, who just might get their name called a week from, well, starting Thursday with, with the first round, the second, third round would be Friday. And most likely if a Kansas State player is, uh, is drafted, it would be on Saturday when the final four rounds are, uh, are announced. So who, who, might, uh, who, who are the best candidates to keep the streak alive? Yeah, there are a few guys to keep an eye on. Um, I'm with you. I think the streak is in jeopardy this season more so than it has been in years past. Um, I mean, you can look back and say that uh, the only reason it really even stayed alive was because Bryce Brown was a seventh round pick a few years back and he only played like one or two games in the K-State uniform. Um, they had another year where uh, uh, Tavon, Tavon Rooks, I think was his name, an offensive lineman kind of got picked out of left field in the sixth or seventh round by the Saints, and that was what helps keep the streak alive. They're going to need something like that again this season, but there are a few people, I think, who could slide into those very last few rounds and be a Saturday pick. Um, I think Scott Franz is probably the best candidate there who started at left tackle for Kansas State for four consecutive seasons. Um, I, I think he's definitely an undrafted free agent guy. Uh, Pro scouts like his experience, like uh, his knowledge, and obviously the, the question with him is, you know, there's never been um, – and I think the thing is there's never been an openly gay player picked in the NFL draft, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. so he, he would be the first. He would be a, a, a trailblazer in that sense if it happens. And I think he's got a shot. Um, after him, I would say Dalton Schoen maybe. He had a really, really good pro day. Um, the, the word on the street on him was that he was slow, but he came out and ran like a 4-5-40 in front of all the pro scouts there. So – um, maybe that could entice somebody to look at him. Reggie Walker, uh, their former defensive end, is kind of kind of on the edge. And then their punter, Devin Ankle. If somebody really wants a needs a punter late, he would be a guy who could maybe get some consideration as well. Gotcha. Hey, and so something else. You had a terrific story over the weekend in, in the Star and the Wichita Eagle about uh, beer beer sales uh, at, at at sporting events at Kansas State. At KU and at Mizzou, you got information the, the the final tallies for the first year of that at uh, at at those schools. First of all, am I right? Was it was it the first year for beer, beer sales at those three? It was the first time that they've uh, sold beer at across the stadium at all concession stands at all three places. Okay, and uh, and the numbers were pretty encouraging. I think the schools discovered. That uh, beer, a pop, not only you know as we expected, a, a popular concession stand item, but the other thing that I thought was interesting, and this is something that I think p- police and, and law enforcement officials had suspected that uh, keeping beer inside the stadium uh, just sort of a safer, um, you know, safer situation than people you know pounding beers and tailgates and then coming into the 
coming into the stadium. So let's just first talk about the numbers. What 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 did you discover from a uh, from a financial standpoint? Yeah, it was uh, a little eye opening. Honestly, I knew that schools made money off beer sales, but I was uh, a little surprised to see just how much. Like Missouri, um, anytime they had a SEC school come to come to Columbia for a game and it was nice weather, they were selling one hundred twenty thousand dollars worth of beer and wine to people who were at the game, and that's uh, I mean that's that's a lot of that's a lot right there. And in Kansas, we all know they struggle to bring in fans uh, to their football games when they're not winning. And they sold half a million dollars in beer sales last year. So uh, when I look at that, and then I hear the athletic directors of all these places say that they they didn't have any increased incidents with alcohol. They they actually think the incidents went down, and it was better for for everybody for the environment. Created a more it, you know it's weird to think about adding alcohol. Um, creating a more family-friendly environment, but that's that's kind of what people reported that it was uh, just no big deal. And a- after seeing all this, I I think in the next couple of years, especially coming off this coronavirus pandemic, as more places are looking to sell, um, I- increase revenue and find ways to make more money, I think we're going to see um, the vast majority of schools go this route. Right. Right. Um, okay, and just to uh, just to clarify something we talked about earlier, Michael Sam, the the Missouri defensive lineman, uh, came out um, publicly as uh, being gay after his college career, but before the draft, and he was taken in the seventh round okay. by the okay. Rams in, in 2014. So just to be clear on that. So, all right, Kellis, great catching up with you as always. And when we return from this break, we'll uh, we'll talk to Jesse Newell, who covers. Kansas for the Kansas City Star and Wichita Eagle. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? Doing all right, Blair. How about yourself? Doing fine. Uh, there would have been a spring game this this week, I believe. Is that right at KU? Yeah, I believe it was the 18th. Uh, that would have been coming up on Saturday. I actually had scheduled some vacation in advance, so I was going to miss it. But uh, everyone is going to miss it now just because of the circumstances <laughs> and the way that they turned out. Gosh, that might have been me on duty then Saturday for the for the KU. Or Gary Bedore, uh, one of us, maybe both of us, who knows? Yeah, it could have been double covered. Uh, I checked with Gary before and I said, hey, when I schedule this vacation, I'm doing it knowing the spring game could be this week. So now that I'm actually putting in vacation, it will be this week. And uh, it definitely turned out that way. Well, one of the things that uh, any of us would have seen uh, had there been a spring game would have been the quarterback competition. Uh, Who knows how that would have played out at this point, but there was a quarterback competition going into this spring. So it just seems to me that schools with um, that, that didn't have a returning starter at quarterback or it's something of a disadvantage uh, with the, with the cancellation of spring. Just let's run down what uh, what the position looks like 
for the Jayhawks and maybe uh, seeded a little bit because there are two or three candidates for the job. Yeah, I, I think before you start with what it looks like now, you have to kind of go back and talk about what it could have been. KU was in on graduate transfer from Florida, Felipe Franks, for a long period of time. Um, and I think they felt really good about getting him and landing him at an early stage in the process. And then he ended up getting more offers and more interests and ended up with Arkansas, I believe, in the end. Right. So, uh, But also, I mean, you have to go back to sort of the quotes that Les Miles said at his first signing day and kind of what they did with Felipe and, and having showing so much interest in him. I think that lets you know that uh, they were willing to spend a scholarship. I mean, remember, this is a, a a recruiting class that has gained a lot of praise, and rightfully so, because it was all high school players. Every single player in the recruiting class was a high school player, yet Kansas was willing to take on a graduate transfer at quarterback just to sort of solidify that position. So without him coming in, it leaves Kansas with, uh, I think, you know, you, you hate to say fallback options, but that's sort of what they're left with. If you were out in the in the market to try to sign the biggest of the big fish as a graduate transfer. So the two guys that will be competing for it are Miles Kendrick and Thomas McVitie. Uh, Thomas McVitie is the Juco transfer that came last year, originally was uh, <laughs> recruited by Les Miles at LSU for a little while, went to Pitt, did, things didn't work out there. He was a special teams player. He went on to Juco and then was supposed to be kind of the starter for Kansas last year. And uh, like I said, never panned out. He had one attempt, uh, passing attempt last year uh, on a trick play and ended up being an interception and just uh, never really got in there. KU went with Carter Stanley and stayed with him the entire year. Then there's also Miles Kendrick, who's uh, he came to Kansas after uh, one Juco year out in California as well. And he actually played some for David Beatty in his first season, but then uh, last year did not play at all and kind of fell down the depth chart. But uh, word is, I, I think that he is more of a player that uh, new offensive coordinator Brent Dearman would take a longer look at with his mobility and ability to to kind of make plays, not only uh, with his feet, but also uh, with his maybe mind as well and, and kind of able ability to, to make reads. I think for McVitie, he's a guy that's a really good athlete, but uh, getting down that mental side of things and also impressing uh, the coaches enough with his throwing motion, it seems like he has all the tools that just not everything has come together as of yet. So that'll be kind of the competition go going into it. I would say that if I was going to give a slight lean, I would give it to Miles Kendrick going into uh, what will be this upcoming college football season. But uh, yeah, those are the two that'll be the, the top ones going at it. And uh, like I said, that's because Kansas didn't land that big fish that they wanted in Felipe Franks. So uh, they'll look at those two guys and figure out who the best guy is. Right, and Franks is eligible immediately. He's a graduate transfer, and you're right, he is at uh, he's at Arkansas. Okay, there's a freshman quarterback uh, coming in. Uh, I believe Jalen, is that how you pronounce his name? Jalen Daniels? Yes. Um, uh, a guy who uh, committed originally to, to Middle Tennessee State, decommitted, and <clears throat> and signed with the Jayhawks. Was I didn't know if he was coming in in the spring or not. Uh, of course, there's nobody on campus now, but uh, is, is this a guy who could find himself in the mix? He could. I, I would say probably – at this point, very much down behind those other two, just because of what you would expect, you know, a freshman coming in. And uh, even if you love those guys, those are not really the first options when you walk in, just because um, of everything you have to learn, everything you have to know. I, but listen, we, we talked to Brent Dearman during the signing day press conference. He loves this kid. He was happy to be able to get him uh, late in the process, all those sorts of things. It's just, it's really difficult. I mean, the, the number of 
teams out there that start true freshman quarterbacks right off the bat. Uh, there's just not many of them. You have to be a, a special sort of player. And, uh, you know, while, while Jalen's a good player, it, it's not like we're talking about a guy that is top three nationally or something or someone where, okay, if Oklahoma brings in a true freshman, maybe that guy starts right away just because you figure he's really, really good. So, yeah, I would expect maybe uh, some development time for him. And especially with these uncertain events right now, uh, it's very difficult to kind of look down the road and figure out how all these guys are going to fit in just because uh, every Everything's in a holding pattern. Everybody's sort of stuck at pause right now until training camp start up and fall ball starts up and uh, teams can get together again. Uh, until all that happens, we're sort of left wondering uh, exactly how all this is going to shake out. But I would definitely still put McVitie and, uh, and Kendrick above him. I'll tell you, whoever comes in and play, or whoever plays quarterback has got some pretty good skill people around him. Kansas is... Not empty in that category uh, with Puka Williams back and then the wide receiving core, what uh, uh, Robinson and Andrew Parchment, uh, Kwame Lasseter, the second. There are there are some weapons on this uh, for this KU offense. Yeah, if you're going to dream on Kansas, you you exactly hit on what their strength is, which is the the skill positions. Which you know, if you were going to pick something, I guess that's that's a good place to start. You pick a Williams; they're going to feed him the ball as much as as he can take. You know, with the workload that he has, but he's. Uh, First back-to-back, first-team All-Big 12 player for Kansas on offense that they've ever had, uh, at least since the Big 12 started. So uh, that's impressive, and obviously he'll continue to get a lot of touches. And uh, even his backup, you know, they really like uh, Velton Gardner. He had a couple long touchdown runs last year, and I think they're sort of molding him into a little bit of a bigger role, too. They feel like they have two home run threats in those two guys. And then, yeah, KU brings back two top-ten receivers from last year. Andrew Parchment came in and was immediately a really really, really good player for the Jayhawks. And then uh, Stephon Robinson, a big play threat. And those two guys, uh, I think that had to be probably the highlights of the season that them, along with uh, Brent Dearman, the new offensive coordinator halfway through the season, those guys were super productive. And Carter Stanley played obviously really well for Kansas as a quarterback, but um, he also was a little bit inconsistent. It kind of depended on the game. When he was good, man, he was really good. And when he wasn't, it, it was sort of an off game for Kansas offense. So yeah, you start with those guys when you say, hey, for Kansas, you know, what are the strengths of the team? And you mentioned too, Blair, the, the depth at receiver. They have a lot of guys. They've got Kwame Lasseter and then a guy like Ezra Naylor, who was battling injuries last year, who was supposed to come on and, uh, you know, potentially this year can step right in. And um, Jamal Horn is a super speedster that they're able to put out there at kick returner. Maybe they can get him in there for some gadget type plays and, and able to to get out there. And I know that Brent Deerman loves a guy, uh, Takulve Williams, who had uh, one of KU's best moves uh routes of the entire season against Texas left one Texas poor Texas defender just falling down at the line of scrimmage for a touchdown catch so there is depth there there is talent there and uh, as you mentioned if they can get somebody to throw them the, the football and get the, to them on time and uh, in space then they have some playmakers uh, the other question marks going to be the offensive line too just because Kansas uh, that seems to be a struggling position for them most of the time and they also lost some very good players there including Hakeem Adeniji who I know you're going to be talking a lot of draft here in the next few days uh, Blair, uh, that's a guy that should pop up here, second or third round probably, just because he was so solid for Kansas and as a versatile player can shift either to tackle or also to the inside as well. I know I've mentioned this before, but it still it still strikes me. I covered Kwame Lasseter's dad when he was in college. That's that's how old I am. Um, <laughs> pl- played at KU in the in the uh, early to mid nineties. So, hey Jesse, what? Um, uh, so much uncertainty in in college football and sports. Um, what's your do you, do you have a sense 
no one, hell, nobody has a sense. But the way things are adding up, it's it's look, it's mid-April, and college football isn't uh, scheduled to start until you know the Labor Day weekend, essentially. What what um, what what's your feeling about this? You know, we've heard from coaches who have been, you know, who, who've actually we've seen both sort of sides of the spectrum. Coaches that have put out PSAs about you know warning and and taking you know help helpful hygiene hints, things like that. Others like Mike Gundy, who wanted to get back as quickly as he could. We've heard, um, you know, athletic administrators, they seem to be, you know, more cautious about things and as they should, uh, their, you know, their, their jobs and they, they understand the, 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 the financial impact and ramifications of, of college football. But what do you think? How does, um, how does this play out? What needs to happen for college football to, to start and what might it look like when it does? It's a great question. Uh, I just kind of continue to read the stuff that's out there and and what potentially all would have to fall into place. And it's, I mean, I hate to say it, Blair, it's it's a mountain of things right now that that have to uh, be put into place that would have to happen. And I think the greatest hope right now is sort of, it's weird to say, it's the greatest hope right now is the unknown. Like we don't know what developments will come here shortly. We don't know if there will be widespread testing available in one month. We don't know um, if, if this thing, you know, suddenly can be treated by something that we discover here in the next month or two. Uh, so th- those are the sorts of unknowns that are positives for college football. But as we stand here right now in mid-April, it's, it's difficult to come up with a feasible scenario where at least this season is not delayed, if not pushed back to next year, to 2021, or the fact that there might not be one at all. And, and, and listen, I'm, I take no joy in saying that. That's not something that I love to hear myself say, but it, it just feels like we're still sort of at the very beginning stages of this and without some surefire solutions as to how you would make something like this work, it it just seems very difficult to parse together a scenario or a, a set of scenarios to make this thing happen, especially like you said, starting at Labor Day and moving on from there. So, yeah, I, I, I hate to, to say that and I hate to be the bearer of bad news or, or glum about this sort of thing. But um, I, I think our best hope right now to, to bring sports back is just something that could develop very quickly and something we don't know about right now and something that could get us all back together and closer to our normal lives here that could be discovered and implemented very quickly across the nation. Um, we don't have that yet, and we really don't have any indication that that's going to come. But if it does, uh, maybe we get a miracle and we get everything started on time. But as of right now, I, I'd be very surprised if there wasn't a delay, and I'd also probably be pretty surprised if, if these games took place even before November, December, and maybe even 2021. So I'm, I'm not optimistic at this point, but uh, we got a lot of smart people working on this thing. I guess that's where the hope lies. And if, if they can get this thing figured out and get everybody, um, you know, some sort of some sort of either test or some sort of way to combat this thing, then maybe there is a little bit more hope than 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 is previously or, or that we can see at this moment right now. But as of right now, it's it's a difficult thing. It's just kind of an unknown enemy. And uh, as long as it's unknown, it's, it seems uncertain that all these sorts of sports and things can start in any sort of time period that resembles uh, the normal timeline that would happen with college football season. Right. And if, if it is delayed, if, if college football and, and fall sports don't begin until the, the second year of the 2021 calendar, academic calendar, then you have to wonder about what the 21-22 sports calendar looks like and how, how that might impact, be impacted. So, 
It's just, it's so many, it's, it's so complicated right now. And, and you're right. There is, you can say that there's, um, there isn't much time, but there is, there is some time to, to see progress made and, um, and no decision has to be made for, for a while. Bob Bowlesby said it himself a couple of weeks ago, you know, we're talking about 30 days, 60 days, nothing has to be done for a while. And, uh, I, I like what you said about the unknown, maybe to the advantage, right? To to you know, sports advantage because there there is no definitives uh, yet when it comes to college football. Yeah, and I think we also have to take a hard, long look at what this might look like. Let's say if it was pushed back that far, uh, I just saw. I mean, obviously it's going to be a big story, but uh, just coming across our wire was uh, Cincinnati was eliminated one of their sports programs this morning, and then AD came out with a statement about that and. There's, these are going to be some very hard times for athletic programs because they rely on they rely on donations, and that's going to be tough for people in a time like this. And they rely on sports, and they rely on football contracts. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things to consider moving forward here, especially if this thing continues on the sort of path that it's on right now. So, yeah, it's uncertain at this moment, and I'm sure that uh, things, obviously, things that seemed crazy a month ago to us aren't so crazy now. And in one month, things that are the reality would probably seem crazy to to what we're talking about right now. But uh, there's a long road ahead. There's no doubt about that. And unless some sort of, like I said, some sort of unknown really helps us out, this is going to be a very interesting time when it comes to athletic programs because it's very difficult for them to go to the government and say, we need bailed out. We need bailed out. Obviously, uh, college football is not going to be the top of the list for government bailouts. So um, this will be an interesting and trying time for athletic departments. And uh, we'll see how everybody makes it through here over the course of the next few months. All right, Jesse, good stuff. Great catching up with you. Hey, thanks, Blair. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. And as always, thanks to our production team of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. I mentioned to you earlier about the Sports Pass offer, and that's a good one. You may also want to consider a subscription to the entire digital menu of The Star for the region's most complete news and sports coverage, plus access to our e-edition that provides additional sports news and business coverage. You get that by going to account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. Hey, we'll be back on Wednesday for another Sports Beat KC where we talk sports in Kansas City every day. Every day.